Brothers and sisters, let's hear the word of the Lord together. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show to his servants, the things must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who has loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierce him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who is and who was and who is to come. I am the Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Dear God, grant to us your favor and blessing at this time as we have heard your word. Anchor it deeply in our hearts, we pray in your son's name. Amen. Please be seated. And if you would, grab your Bibles. We want to turn to Revelation chapter 1. We start a new series here, as I mentioned, looking at the first three chapters of the book of Revelation in our sermon text, and then hopefully we will hear and experience the rest of the book of Revelation. Many of you know that Revelation is a bizarre book. It's odd, it's uh, fanciful, it is, comes from a picture that most of us have no understanding of, a type of realm, a world that we don't even see. A lot of that is because it comes in a form of a literature. It's written in a style that was popular at the time that it was written during the first century, and yet it's not very popular at all now. It's called apocalyptic literature. And the trick with apocalyptic literature, one of the things that's difficult about it, is that it's, it's meant to be imagined. It's meant to, it's, it's meant to give you images in your mind without necessarily concrete understanding or concrete steps or, an, or a solid understanding. It's meant to be what we have done with it, read out and, and just pictured it as it is coming. That's part of the reason why we're approaching the entire book of the Revelation during this time. We're going to focus on the first three chapters that do do uh, that do kind of uh, lend themselves to some specific uh, study, which is what we're going to do. But the rest of the book of Revelation really is beneficial for God's people as they just experience it. And so we're trying to find a way for you to experience the book of Revelation. What would Jesus say to Hebron Church? How would Jesus evaluate Hebron Church? Now, the staff are constantly going through times of evaluation. Of course, they are more uh, on our minds at certain times of the year than at other times. But we're constantly trying to evaluate things. Uh, your leaders here, the session, is constantly trying to evaluate things. My guess is that a whole lot of you around the lunch table or the dinner table or whatever spend time evaluating how things are going here at Hebron Church. 
well, what would Jesus say about this? Uh, certainly we know that Jesus would communicate his love and his passion for us. We know that he would communicate his desire for us. We know that he would communicate grace to us. But are there other things that he would say? Are there specific encouragements that he would give? Are there specific critiques that he would level against the leadership or against the congregation, against what we do outside these walls or what we do inside these walls? If Jesus were to sit down with an evaluation form and say, what do I think about Hebron Church? What would it look like? Well, I think a whole lot of that is exactly what is covered in, in Revelation chapters 1 through 3. Over the next nine weeks, I think we're going to specifically see exactly that, what Jesus would say to Hebron Church, what he would say to the churches in general. And it'll be up to us to say, hey, where does this apply specifically, both in encouragement and in challenge to us about how we function as a body? Do you know when you're in the shower or you're walking or you just wake up late at night or something like that, you roll over it late at night, and then the light bulb goes on and you go, aha, I get it. And there's some type of, uh, you have that aha moment and the, you know, everything kind of clicks in for you and go, oh, I, I, I now see what it is. Okay, in English, one of the terms to describe that thing is uh, to say to somebody, hey, I've had a revelation. And by that, we're talking about, you know, you've got some insight. Something has come to us after hours of study or something like that. Something, how oh, it just suddenly clicked in. I kid you not, when I was very young, I don't know how, long, how old I was, four or five or something like that, I was having trouble riding a bike. And in the middle of the night, I woke up and I thought, oh, it works like that. And the next day, I rode perfectly continuously, my bicycle. At least that's the way I remember it. I had some kind of a revelation and it occurred to me, ah, that's what it is. That's not what we mean when we talk about revelation in the scriptures. Take a look at verse 1, for instance, in Revelation chapter 1, verse 1, we are told that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, when we talk about revelation, we often use the idea of a uh, of a light bulb or of something just appeared to us, some deep insight. When scripture uses the term of revelation or what the term more meant in, uh, in the Greek culture in which the text was given to us is this understanding of, of, a, uh, of, a, uh, of an unveiling or a, a revealing, a showing what it is. It's not that the person somehow sits around and figures it out and then through deep insight suddenly the bulb comes on and they get their own insight. Revelation is almost by definition an unveiling of something, a revealing something that you wouldn't know, that you couldn't know apart from it being shown to you. When the scriptures use the term revelation, overwhelmingly, that's the imagery that they have in mind. Not that suddenly you come to an awareness, not that the insight is yours, but rather that what is coming to you is something that you could never have known if it was not unveiled for you. So our text today starts out, the revelation of Jesus Christ. 
Now, of Jesus Christ, the revelation, the unveiling of Jesus Christ. I think we can take that term in two ways, and I think that we should. It is the revelation that belongs to Jesus Christ. It is the revelation of Jesus Christ. It is his revelation. It is that which we'll see in a few minutes God gave to him so that he might reveal to us, so that he might disclose it to us. So revelation here of Jesus Christ it is a revelation which belongs to Christ. But I think the other way to understand that, which fits very well with the book as a whole and certainly what we're going to see here today, is that this is the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is a revelation about Jesus. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is not the one necessarily who possesses the revelation. It is, he is, but it is also the revelation. He is the subject or the object of the revelation. He is the one being revealed. Now, this is the opening line of the book, and I think that it has to shape and guide our understanding of the book. What is this book about? It is the revelation about Jesus Christ. This book is about Jesus Christ. Now, not all of you are going to be familiar with Revelation, and I apologize for that, but over the next nine weeks, I pray that you will come and join us here during the study, and you will hear the book read out to you, and you will be exposed to the very bizarre, fanciful, odd weird world of Revelation. The book is just different. It pictures a world we have, it's almost incomprehensible. We have a world full of dragons and and demons and angels and horns and lakes and fire and all kinds of stuff that is outside of our traditional way of understanding the world. It doesn't look like this world. And so very often, we get caught up in trying to discern, well, what does this horn mean? Or who is this witness? Or what is this dragon or this beast that looks like this? Or this living creature, what does it represent? And those are important questions to ask, and we'll tackle some of that as we go along. But never to the exclusion that we lose the point of the book. It is the revelation of of Jesus Christ. My guess is that you, like me, have run into some people that are so obsessed about the futuristic aspects of the book of Revelation that they never talk about Jesus Christ. May that never be. Whatever we do over the next nine weeks as we study this book together, we will never I beg you, don't let me do this, and don't you do this. Don't ever lose sight of the fact that every word in here is a revelation about Jesus Christ. This is about him. The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God the Father, um, whenever Christ and God are often used in the same passage of Scripture, the New Testament writers mostly have in mind the actual person of the Father. So, which the Father gave to Christ to show his servants. Um, I, I have been a pastor for, how long have I been a pastor? Uh, uh, for, uh, I don't know, 20 years or something like that, 20, 25 years. 
Um, and I have never tackled the book of Revelation in a sermon series. Uh, so we're at least starting that through the first three chapters here in which we are doing that. Um, and I'm committed to that. Um, I'm committed to it even though the book is bizarre. Even though, though the book is fanciful, even though the book is outside my normal perception of the spiritual realities that happen around here, because it is the word of God, and because it is given to us. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ, which was given to Christ to show us, his servants here. His servants here just don't represent the first century followers or John the Apostle. It represents every one of us who claim the name of Jesus Christ. This scripture, along with every other scripture in the Bible, is given for us. And so, as in all things, we will expose ourselves to that text and open ourselves up to that text. Look in verse 3 for a second. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. Do you hear that? Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. So I asked Doug to read this. Thank you, Doug. You are now blessed. Um, I think that's actually true. I, I don't believe that that's just hyperbole. I don't believe that that's just accidental words that are written on the page. I believe... It, when it says, blessed are the ones who read aloud the words of this prophecy. Now, how are they blessed? Will Doug have an extra special day today? Will his wife be extra special nice to him? Will, you know, I, I don't know. I have no idea how that blessing will come to Doug today. But it will. Because this is set up as a promise for God's people, and I trust the one who promises. The one who promises says, blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy. And blessed are those who hear it. There is something about Scripture in general I think we can say that, but certainly about this text where God promises to be present in a way that blesses his people when we read and we hear this text. Now, nowhere else in Scripture is this particular phrase and line used. The idea that you will actually be promised a blessing by the Lord God if you expose yourself to the scripture. But that's what it says here. Now again, I'm not predicting, I'm not determining which way that blessing is going to look like in your life. I have no idea. What I do know is that I trust the one who made the promise. Blessed are those who, of us who hear these words. Now, this is part of the reason why we strongly want to encourage you when you go home to read this 
the, the, second, the, the second chapter today, which is going to be chapter 5. It's in your bulletin. Read through chapter 5. Read it out loud as a family. It will take you three to four minutes to read this chapter. Read it aloud to your family. Read it aloud to your spouse or your roommate uh, or yourself. Read the words of the Scripture because of the promise here of our Lord. Blessed are those who read aloud the words of this prophecy. Blessed are those who hear it and who keep what is written in it, for the time is near. Now, when the scriptures say the time is near, we have a very temporal sense of things. That means that time is, is somewhere right around the corner, some, something that is right here upon us. And that's, yeah, that's kind of the sense of the word. Um, but in the, in the biblical language, sometimes that kind of has the sense of it's near as in it is present right with us. We can't avoid it. It is right here. The time is now. The time is now for the people of God to be exposed to his word. Verse 4, John then is the specific author of this text. He's the one to whom Jesus has spoken that he writes these words down. We'll see a little bit more of John next week. And he writes to seven churches that are in Asia. And we'll talk about that in the coming weeks here. And what does he say? This is from John. This is from God himself. Grace to you and peace. This is kind of the standard greeting, the standard blessing that is given. Perhaps right here is a sense of the fulfillment of those words of, of blessing, of promise that God has given in verse 3. Perhaps the experience that we will have when we hear the word of God written, when we read it aloud to one another, is that grace and peace will be to us in that unique way. But look at the last part of the verse there. Grace and peace to you. From him who is, and who was, and who is to come. Now, there's a temptation, if you break things into pieces like I do, is to, to think of that as three different people. Uh, grace and peace to you from the one who was, wait, well, we start with, for the one who is, and the one who was, and the one who is to come. So, three different people, that's who the, the blessing is from. Well, I think when we read a little bit further along, it'll become very crystal clear that this is not a description of three different people, the one who was in the past, the one who is now, and then there's also a guy that's going to be in the future. This is obviously a description of God himself. This is a way of articulating the blessings of God himself, that he is. That is, God is present with us. But not only is God present here, but built into that affirmation is the assertion that God uh, holds the present, that God is responsible for the present, that God is maintaining the present. And he is the God who was. That is, not just that he was present in every past action, every past moment of every life, but rather that he was maintaining, that he was in charge of, that he held every moment of the past. And he is the God who will be. He is the God who will be present in all things, yes. But he's also the God who will maintain and hold and uphold 
every moment of your life. So grace and peace to you from this God is not an empty promise. When I say grace and peace to you, I'm hoping for that for you. I am, I am, because I can't make it happen. When God says grace and peace to you, he reminds us that he's the one who is present always in the past, present, and the future. But more than that, that he upholds it, that he controls it, that he's responsible for it. And therefore, when he says grace and peace to you, he really means it because he can do it. And from the seven spirits who are before the throne. So we have grace and peace to you from God the Father and from the seven spirits who are before the throne. And some of you are clicking, and you're probably clicking about right, that this is a reference to the Holy Spirit. Well, who are the seven spirits? The se- well, if you look back in Isaiah, etc., the Holy Spirit is often referred to as, as what he does and how he acts. Uh, and he often acts in this sevenfold manner, the, the spirit of wisdom, the spirit of knowledge, the spirit of truth, etc., etc. And so the seven spirits before the throne, I think, is just a fancy way of saying the Holy Spirit. So grace and peace to you from God the Father, grace and peace to you from the Holy Spirit, and grace and peace to you, verse 5, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. What is the author saying here? Grace and peace to you from the blessed Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The scriptures, particularly the book of Revelation, maybe not particularly, but certainly including the book of Revelation, are unabashedly Trinitarian. They speak of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and so will I, and so must you. At Hebron Church here, we're not going to talk about some vague spirituality. We're not going to talk about some generic divine being. We are going to speak about the God who is revealed to us through the Scriptures, and he is the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Middle of verse 5, to him who loves, here's a benediction. Listen to this, now a benediction is that exciting moment when it's a climactic moment in the scriptures where the author gets all excited and says, hey, praise to God. And here's his praise to God. To him who loved us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and has made us a kingdom and priest to his God and Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever, amen. The author is excited to give praise to who? To Jesus Christ. And notice what he says about Jesus Christ. He is the one who loves us. He is the one who freed us from our sins. He is the one who has made you a kingdom of priests. In other words, praise be to the one who loves you, who has redeemed you, and has called you. May God reveal himself, God has revealed himself, may you experience it, that he is the God who loves you, who has redeemed you, that is, that he loves you knowing you exactly as you are, and yet died for you and freed you from your sins. 
and who has called you, that is, who has, because of his great love for you, he has called you to himself and to his service. You are here, we are here today to worship the Lord, absolutely, but part of what we are here to do is to be moved into his service. And we do so, the author does here, in in an outburst of praise. Praise be to the one who loved us, who has redeemed us, and who has called us into his service. Verse 8, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the Lord God says, who was, who is, and who is to come. That runs again, that eternal God who covers every aspect of life. I am the Almighty, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Be encouraged. God is in control. Be encouraged. The future is safely in our God's hands. And be encouraged because the victory is already won. We're going to be talking about the book of Revelation for the next nine weeks together. And the message that I want to come across is for you to be encouraged. God is in control. Be encouraged. The future is safely in his hands. And be encouraged that he has already won the victory. Because this is the revelation about Jesus Christ. This is all about him and what he's done. And so let's pray together. Lord God Almighty, we do give you praise and we give you thanks for the wonderful gifts in which you have given to us, for the blessings of your presence here with us, for the love that you have poured out upon us, for the redemption that you have given to us, the death of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and for calling us into your service. Lord, we thank you for that blessing. We ask that you would cause us, enable us to be encouraged by it, to be warmed by it, to be made aware more and more of the blessings that are before us as we hear the word of God read to us, as we read it together, as we study it, as we submit ourselves to it consistently, Lord, so that we might know you better, our Lord and Savior, in whose names we pray. Amen.